Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. As a long-standing critic of the non-celebration goal celebration in football, I have to applaud Dunica Ryan's animated display in the closing stages of yesterday's match between his new club, Racing 92, and his old team, Munster, in Rugby's Champions Cup. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Podcast. Hi Murph, Ken, Simon, how are we all doing? Hello. Hello there, all. Not that Dunica had to try to celebrate, but he may as well have. He did execute the game-winning play when he chased down a kickoff late in the match, uh, kickoff that should have been Munster's, he claimed it, for his new employers, and spent the remaining couple of minutes just roaring in the face of any Frenchman who looked like they were about to clock off early mentally and undo his good work. Mm-hmm. Might have been some arse slapping, I didn't see it, but probably. There was yeah. certainly a lot of game-facing going on. Yeah, I was watching the uh, the BT Sport you know, highlights show at half seven on a yeah. Sunday evening where you get to see every try, basically, of the, the European Cup weekend. And uh, uh, Brian O'Driscoll was being asked about Donica Ryan uh, when they were covering the Munster game. And uh, Brian was basically saying, yeah, see, the thing you need to understand about Donica Ryan is that he brings a certain... And he was kind of struggling for the exact right word to describe what Donica Ryan brings to a rugby team. But at that exact moment, the BT Vision Mixer put up uh, a clip of Donica Ryan. It was just like a framed shot of him, you know, in close-up mm-hmm. with Donica Ryan wearing the Donica Ryan while playing rugby face, <laughs> which... Uh, said it so much more beautifully than Brian could ever have even attempted. It's the same face that he has playing for Ireland and had playing for he, Munster. He has the but best. It's, but it's not just playing rugby, it's getting off the bus, it's in the change room. <laughs> Anytime there's a camera on him, he has that face. <laughs> he has the best game face, or just general rugby face, hmm. perhaps in the game at the This moment. is how to do though. Just beat the shit out of your ex-teammates on the pitch, win the game for your new one, don't look sheepish about it, and then afterwards go around and hug Everybody within an inch of their lives, as he seemed to be doing. Simon Leinster put 50 points on Glasgow. You must have been pretty impressed. I saw you tweeting before the game that there was no way this couldn't end up as a cracker. It wasn't really, I guess, a cracker in the yeah, end. Just because it was the, a bit too one-sided. But it, was <laughs> it was, yeah. A lot, a lot of nice rugby. Yeah, on reflection, Glasgow were weakened and they didn't play particularly well. But Leinster, the bookies' favourite. They were before the game anyway, but they lengthened those odds a little bit. And that's with all bookies. I just had a look through. And that's about right, given the way the group has gone so far, given that, uh, you know, they're beaten teams by big margins, best squad depth. Um, they play the, probably the most ambitious style of rugby. And I think they're the most entertaining side in the competition. Actually, one of the most entertaining sides the competition has ever had at this stage. But at that last factor maybe skews your analysis of how likely they are to win the competition because the offloads and the tries and the number of attacking players they have just sort of makes you... It, it looks easy and it looks like it'll always happen this way. And we saw last season they got tied against Claremont in the semi-final. And just against those teams, that will make them think, just make them feel different about a game for the first time in a season. And that's yeah. going to happen at least well, once. Well, Exeter, they had to think their way through the Exeter game. Drew, they came from, from behind, at yeah. Home, yeah. Um, but there, there's a good chance they play Saracens in Dublin in the quarterfinal. And I think Saracens are probably the last team they would worry about. Yeah. Last team they'd want to play, you mean? Yeah. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, we'll I, th- I think they'd happily play La Rochelle or Claremont in Dublin. Saracens in Dublin is slightly different. Shane Horgan and Gordon Darcy will be with you in a couple of minutes. And we're going to chat about the first ever Gaelic football free kick shootout that took place yesterday. I believe Brian Stafford kicked the winner for Meadmer. You've gotten the, the, the correct spirit of the story, not quite the detail. If you're a member of the World Service and you've yet to listen to our exclusive interview with the former World Number no. 4 and Wimbledon semi-finalist Elena Dockage, you should probably check it out whenever you get the chance. A lot of you have heard it and a lot of you have been in touch about it, so cheers for all of that. It's a fairly difficult listen, I guess the best way to describe it for the most part, because Elena was detailing the physical and mental abuse she suffered at the hands of her father throughout her career. People might remember some of the stories of your dad at some of the tournaments. He was kicked out of the US Open, arrested at Wimbledon. He seemed to nearly revel in this image of being this hellraiser. You know, the tennis dad from hell was what the tabloids were calling him. With all that going on in public, uh, people must have guessed, Yelena, that there was there were problems in private. Did, did anyone reach out to you? Did anyone check? Are you okay? I didn't understand why the media was making fun of it. He was a joke, really. And I think that's that was um, probably one of the biggest mistakes because um, they kind of you know encouraged the fact that he was like this. And if you just took a second and, and uh, stopped to think about it, it was actually very disturbing. He was actually um, uh, he was actually very aggressive and, and drunk because he was constantly doing these interviews with him, and and they knew what he was like. They were making fun of this kind of behavior. And at the end of the day, I um, um, don't understand why no one it took a second to step back and say, well, look, there's a 15-year-old girl going home with this person. Uh, for me, look, did some did, did, did people know? Did, did, did some people know certain things that were happening? Absolutely. Um, again, I, don't, I absolutely don't blame anyone at all. I know it's um, very hard to get involved in a family situation and something that goes on behind closed doors. Um, but you did see him, the way that he was acting in public, right? And, and, and at all the tournaments, especially at Grand Slams. And I think just based on that, alone um, someone that had to live with this type of person and live through this and go through this public embarrassment yeah you would think that um, at least a couple people would you know offer help or, or just ask you how you're doing but that didn't happen Pretty powerful stuff there from Yelena Dokic. That was a European exclusive interview on the World Service last week. There's loads more good stuff to come this week, but we're not going to promote all of it just yet as it hasn't been recorded and we're all aware of the Mick McCarthy rule at this point. When it's recorded, we will promote. Up until that point, we will only hint vaguely at some exciting things due to happen in the next few days. If you haven't signed up for the World Service yet, now is as good a time as any to do at secondcaptains.com. Couldn't be easier. It takes you a couple of minutes and will only cost you five euro a month plus fat. We are down to the business end in the Champions Cup now. One pool game left next weekend and all of the Irish teams have done their chances some good over the last couple of days. It's probably fair to say Gordon Darcy's with us. Gordon, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. And Shane Horgan is listening in. How are you doing, Shane? Hey, Owen. Uh, is it fair to say that even Munster, despite losing yesterday, Gordon have probably done themselves some good? I mean, a bonus point, I know you're supposed to go in thinking you have to win and they gave themselves a shot, but a bonus point, defeat isn't bad. Yeah, I thought it Take away bonus points, um, and then in, all into the last match, you kind of you'd much prefer that. Um, well, obviously, obviously, would have preferred win the game and and have it sewn up. But yeah, it's as it's as good as you could have uh, you could have hoped for. And the performance, the way the game went, um, Saracens were like they are a steamrolling machine, and it was a pressure game. And I thought uh, Munster just counterpunched really, really well, and it just wasn't to be in the in the final in the final uh, final quarter. What let them down? And if you're looking at a, a team who could possibly win I mean Simon Zebo was talking at the weekend with Jerry Thorny about how he's sick of I think it was Zebo, one of the Munster players anyway was saying they're sick of having all these conversations every season about how we're one season away and we're nearly there they want to win something this year was there enough in the performance at the weekend that you could foresee a route for them through the last pool game through the quarterfinals and to actually make a Champions Cup final um, or is there a little bit is there is there anything uh, still- obvious missing there I don't think there's anything obvious. I just don't think the like if you, you just use a comparison, then say uh, a Leinster or a Saracens, where they have that tight knit group of players who've been there for a number of years. Munster don't have as many of them, and they're starting. You know, they're losing Simon Zebo, one of their key attackers, but they have laid down the majority or kept the majority of their players, and they need to build on that. So to say this year, yeah, you're always going to say you want to win something. I don't think this year is going to be a year where they are potentially going to be getting into that in, into that final. Um, but 
this is a, a big learning step for them. How good do you think Munster are this season? Because I sort of went into that game thinking it would help me decide whether they're, as we're saying, really contenders for a European title or not. And they go through some phases where you think they're absolutely brilliant, such as the one that Keith Earl started and finished, one of their best moments of the season. But then they go through phases, say in the first half when they got to the Racing 22 and Keatley kicked it away once, Conor Murray took a quick tap once that went nowhere, Simon Zebo tried to kick through to the corner as well that got blocked, just make weird decisions in possession at times. And then they also go through these phases where they look like they're going nowhere, they do these one-off runners and they're not that big a team that you think they can get away with that on a sustainable level over a season. So it kind of came out of the game still not sure how good or bad Munster are. Yeah, and, and I, they're not quite um, at a sort of a bu- bullying level yet. And uh, kind of listening to them afterwards, I think they were they were quite happy with the result. Um, and they would have been happy with, with the result going into the game. But as the game unfolded, I think, I think it became quite clear that Munster should have won that game and, and they, they had it in their grasp and, and they sort of let it go. So from that perspective, they'll be disappointed. And also it doesn't bode particularly well for um, you know, the next um, number of rounds and, and in particular the, the knockout stages. Uh, you know, I thought they were, they were you know, uh, you know, strong in parts. Uh, they tried to vary their game a bit. But I, I, their basic skills across the back line, I, I didn't think were great. They were qu- quite a, they were quite a bit off, and they had someone in Earls, as you mentioned there, that was on fire, that was playing extremely well, and they just didn't give them the ball um, in, an, in enough space. They didn't give them the ball with enough opportunity, and even you know on a couple of occasions where he did cut them open, it was it was kind of one in particular. He picked the ball right off the deck, and it was him sort of making something out of nothing. Again, you're right. I think uh, Keatley made a couple of uh, errors that were sort of surprising um, and, and, and would be punished later on in the tournament. What do you think of the fact that they looked reasonably happy afterwards, Gordon, with the losing bonus? I, I suppose they would have gone into this game thinking that's our target in a way because they going you know they'd fancy themselves against Castro in Thomond in a week's time. But then when when Earl scored that try in particular, I thought they had all the momentum. They were playing much better. They kind of figured out wrestling to an extent. The crowd was less of a factor, and yet they still seemed happy afterwards with the losing bonus. Yeah, it's always dangerous to to try and read into it, and maybe an emotion or an interview by one or two players, and then the overall feeling. I'd say they will look at that quite um, analytically and go, "We could have possibly gotten away from it." I, I probably a little bit different view and Shane on it. I don't. I thought their composure at really important points meant that they probably didn't deserve to get away, didn't deserve to win that game and the actual losing bonus point was actually a, a, a quite a fair result for them because sorry, um, racing, their ability just to, you know, we're talking about one-off runners and uh, Shane's really good word there about bullying and racing were able to do that and they were just mm. able to create scores when, when they needed to and I just felt like they just did enough to get through that through that, through that that game. Um I think with with Van Graan and what he's trying to achieve in there and this huge disruption that Munster have been going through for the last 18 months, he's looking at this going, this is another brick in the foundation, yeah. a solid foundation that we're going to try to go through. And like Shane's you know, hitting the nail on the head there. The composure and their skill level uh, at really, really important times, a couple of times Zebo going for the really, really extraordinary pass when the the simpler thing was to to just get it to Keith Earls, who was on fire, and the ball ends up you know behind him or going into touch and little things like that. And they have big knock on effects because they are your they are your crucial moments and they're your ability to get ten fifteen yards over the game line, and then that changes the whole dynamic of how how the game unfolds. But I think Frank Gann has just told them to go and play, but it it's not going to be it doesn't that just doesn't click overnight and I think that takes time to um, to bed in and the you know Chris Farrell in there at 13 and, and all these new combinations they're starting you can see flashes of it and I think that's probably what he, he will take from that and go there is something to build on here just one second there. just the, the the most crucial moment of the game though was was one of the most simple which was uh, after the um, the monster score was the restart and and they they failed to regather that and you know if you're going to be really dispassionate about it if you're going to be clinical from a from a monster point of view you go how do we how do we lose that game by um not dealing with a restart correctly and who was it that 
dealt with the restart correctly. It was, you know, the, the most passionate Munster man and most committed Munster guy that we've seen in years. He really, uh, Donica uh, Ryan really, really uh, knew the game was on the line at that point. He wanted that ball, ball more than anybody else on the field. He regathered it. And that was the winning and losing of the game. It was there. And, um, you know, from that perspective, Munster has to be really disappointed. Jim, what do you make of the discipline issue with Munster? It's been going on all season. Uh, it's with various different re- referees against different opposition. And yet you see with the attitude of Peter Manny at the end of the first half where he argued with the ref and you could, it came across on Mike as well. Uh, and they gave away three points as a result. Um, that they think they're doing the right thing. Munster think they're doing the right thing at the breakdown in particular, but clearly various refs have an issue with it. Do you think it's a it's a technical thing or is it a mentality thing? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, but it's it's something that has to be addressed, and you can't just address it in in pure terms, if you know what I mean. There's no point um, in sitting on the sideline uh, when you're in the sim bin, and there's no point in uh, giving the opposition three points and feeling really good about yourself because technically on a Monday morning you can go back and say, you know, actually we didn't do anything wrong there. It was the referee who got that one wrong and he was a bit harsh on us. You actually have to adapt to the referee. And, you know, in every team I ever played with, that was the conversation we always had. Now, sometimes you can push things a little bit further and you can get away with more. And, you know, Munster are, are, were historically brilliantly at doing, uh, brilliant at doing that and really frustrated the opposition. But it's clear at the moment that they're just falling on the other side slightly. So what they have to be able to do is be, in, you know, almost over-disciplined and go, you know, even if we think we're doing the right thing and even if another referee on another day would allow us to do this, there's no point in giving away the three points because this referee isn't allowing us to do it. So you have to defend accordingly. And, you know, as you said, it's gone on, it's, it's gone on a number of times now. So there's no point in being, you know you know, a hero in the video session afterwards. You, you have to adapt to what's going on in front of you. And if that means changing your behaviours, then, then that's what you should do. And Peter Romani, like that was a really, really costly um, uh, you know, back chat or whatever it was. It took the, the penalty probably from just outside goal um, range into it. Uh, and, and, you know, had a huge consequence on the game from, from a hugely influential player from Munster uh, at a very influential time. The other news around Munster, Shane, is that they have signed a doper. Well, it's not exactly news. They signed Ger- uh, Gerbrandt Grobler in the summer and he was banned in 2014 for two years for using steroids. But nobody seemed to notice. I certainly hadn't heard about this until Rory O'Connor, rugby writer with The Independent, brought it up in the past week with Johan van Kran. Do you have a problem with Munster signing this player? Yeah, I do, actually. You know, I, I feel uncomfortable about it. And I, I didn't know about it. I didn't know his history uh, prior to the last uh, couple of days either, which I think a lot of people are like that. Um, you know, I would feel uncomfortable in a changing room um, with, with the doper. I think people deserve second chances, you're right. And, you know, the, 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 we also know even from, you know, um, from employment law that you know you can't people aren't banned for their their entire lives after a uh, after a doping uh, ban after you know a doping ban it, it can only be for so long but at the same time you know there's no requirement on Munster or Leinster or or Ulster or any of the Irish provinces to sign uh, a doper as someone who has um, who uh, who has failed a doping test and admitted to it. Um, and they have, I think, Munster put a lot of their their own players in a very tricky position. I'm I'm certain some would, some people would be un- uncomfortable with it. And then and can they speak out? You know, can you speak out from a train from a dressing room uh, and say, you know, you, you don't, you know, you, you're feeling uncomfortable with it? I think um, were they spoken to before the signing, and you know, w- you know, what's their belief? I think they should have been it should have been addressed before with the players. Um, but there's something just sits really uneasy with me um, bringing in an overseas player who has that sort of history. Gordon, is that the biggest issue with this, the current Munster players, as opposed to, say, the coaching staff or the administrators or the RFU or what the policy is on taking in a player as a PED history? Yeah, it it almost begs belief why you would bring in a player like that has this history. You're mm. bringing in a you know a negative connotation into your, into your change room into your but particularly from like Shane when we when we started um, 
we're in danger now of talking about the good old days, but when we started playing rugby, you know, there was no such thing as a supplement from the RFU. They were absolutely one of the last professional sporting rugby unions to even go down that route. And even in the Irish uh, setup, you know, when I was leaving it, it's supplements, but it's still aired on the side of nutrition. Um, and that's quite a small part of the um, of the preparation. And when you go into, um, so I remember in the Lions and, um, you know, supplements was suddenly exploded and that was probably our first, um, you know, Paul Collin talking about that. Um, focus, isn't that focus. what it's <laughs> too, too much focus by the sounds of things. The that focus, drink, uh, yeah. that focus ring. I remember, you know, and this is, you know, this is a whole world out there. Yeah. Um, but from from a, from a, a, a governing body that is reluctant to go into that, um, how this got past the player advisory board or the, or the you know the the, the yeah. task group that you know vets every foreign They're signing. so meticulous about yeah. every detail how this just slipped through and uh, you know it's it's yeah although it's, we don't know that it slipped through or did, did did they like well, presumably you do your research is that, yeah, they, you kind of hope that it slipped through you're not going to put that in your CV I would have thought but uh, sorry would you would you think it's worse if it, it was just that the players advisory group didn't know about it or is it worse that they knew about it and still thought well this is okay we'll let this there's so few in. players with a history of, of serving a ban for drugs in rugby like if you if you look through it there's the Laurent Benezek book there's Chilliboy Ralapelli there's Craig Chalmers son Sam I think his name was uh, there's Carlo Del Fava South African born and played for Italy there's very few high-profile yeah. cases. There's a lot of players at sort of lower level. There's four New Zealand players recently, all at a lower level. There's a Welsh player at a lower level recently. Very few high-profile cases. So absolutely, there's no way you could miss this. Which would be worse? Would it be worse that they that they let it through by error, or or that they decided it's I actually th- okay? I think it's a you know is there a, is there a, a lesser of two evils there? Mm-hmm. I don't think either one is is a good excuse. You know, the prob- maybe the due diligence was passed back onto Munster and. That was uh, it. Was came through Erasmus, and you know that in itself is 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 worrying. Shane, to say something about the rugby culture, maybe the Irish rugby media here, that it did go under the radar and didn't get noticed until Rory Connor asked the question this week, and you wonder would it have gone unreported still if he hadn't asked the question at the presser to Van Gran? But you know the fact that this is passed by. As far as I know, he's the first Irish player with this history to be signed by a province, so it's a big story. And it's taken till mid-season on him to play an A game for it to be reported. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, listen, I, I didn't. It, it went under the radar for me, so you know I can't. Mm. Like, you know, and it, it's, it's we're, my we're job part of that to, media, so we're talking about ourselves yeah, here. But yeah, you know, so um, you know the the the, the um, you know the blame is on us all. You know, and fair play to Roy for for pulling it up and, and highlighting it. Uh, but I do think that. You know, at the time of the signing, uh, if if um, if it had the exposure that it has this week, I think um, the conversation would be would have happened then, and it would have been as big, if not bigger, than it is now. Um, it, it's wh- whichever way, uh, whichever one of the two scenarios you you you, uh, you set out there, it is um, both both of those are not good. They're not positive for Ireland. You know, we talk about overseas signings um, so often, and, and there's a different. I think there's a certain criteria for uh, for Ireland, in particular now bringing in overseas, because we generate so many good players. Um, and I think one of them is that they have to be so much better than any like-for-like like players that Ireland may have. You know, if there's any sort of an, a call between uh, a young player coming up and, and a player coming in, I think you bring give it to the um, you give it to the Irish player. Um, the, another criteria is that he, they're going to play, um, you know, lots of games and set culture, and and they bring in new ideas. And I'm all for it. You know, I think we're in a brilliant position at the moment where we've got so many homegrown uh, talent. But I think you know, people coming in from overseas can add to that and, and can you know, can bring in new ideas and make everyone better. The other criteria has to be that they're whiter than whiter than white uh, when it comes. Uh, to drugs and drug testing, and unfortunately, although you know the rules say that um, you know you get another chance, and that's fine. But but Ireland and Munster and Leinster and Ulster and Connacht don't be don't have to be the ones to provide them for that with, with that choice, and I don't think they should have. Gordon, you want to come in there? Yeah, it's just, it's you know just probably something to change. when you're talking about culture, and you know culture is largely about um, your behaviours. It's very and you know these guys are coming in and they're quite influential in that. I can just picture being almost reserved trying to take a lead from somebody who I know has not been whiter than white and you've tried, you're trying to do it the hard way. You know, it, it does create that, you know, uh, 
just an unrest in something you're trying to you're, you're trying to create. Are you talking about people you would have suspected of? No, no, no. If I was in if I was in that change room oh, just today, hypothetically, if you're in that change room hypothetically today, today you, and, yeah, yeah. And, try, and somebody trying to talk to me and saying we have to be better, and it's like, but you took an easy option, so why should hmm. I listen to you? What I don't get about it is they're not signing Baki's Bota here, Shane. They're signing like surely they could bought another second row. There's no need to put themselves under this kind of <laughs> scrutiny. They just you just don't sign the player. It's pretty simple. Yeah, you don't. But I don't think that's your. That's sorry, sorry, my backies. Bo- my, 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 yeah, my backies. Both the points. Sorry, sorry. It's just that. Yeah. It's you know. Okay, there are certain players in a position who are the best in the world, and you know, you you maybe take a calculated. You think, okay, this. I'm not saying backies both the hazard, but hypothetically, you're saying a big name player. They've they've been through this. Everyone knows about it. This is our stance on it. We're going to take. We're going to take the hit. I'm not saying they should do that either, but you could see if they were doing it for a really top class player, maybe why they might go down that road. Whereas when it's a guy who, I, I, I don't know how good he could turn, out, could turn out to be a great player for them, but it seems like an unnecessary uh, un- un- unnecessary decision, unnecessary signing to make. I disagree with you because I think uh, it holds true for however good the player is. Because it, it can't be, you can't, that decision can't be on how good the player is. Otherwise, all the, you know, the arguments that myself and Gordon have just put up there really ring hollow so you can't just go just because somebody is so good we will let all those things go by it's actually probably more important if the player is even better to be honest with you so you know i i think you're in the same position but the other point that i don't think we either of us have brought up yet is the position that it puts a lot of players in those monster players are now in 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 a changing room but more importantly they're outside of the changing room where they're going and having to field these questions and what can they really say? You know, what can they say uh, w- when they've got a, um, someone in the changing room who has this history that their, you know, their club, um, province, and, and you know, by extent, union have endorsed? You know, what do you expect those players to say when they're questioned on, on this? I think it puts them in a very, very tricky position and one that they won't, they, they shouldn't be put in. Well, I think they'll just serve or follow the party line, Shane. That's what happens when clubs make mistakes. Say when the email, the monster email, was sent out to everybody in the squad with various flaws and analysis of those players. You end up just saying, "Look, it was." You just sort of move on and um, dead bat it. I mean, I think for the players, that's the only option they have. But just a, another question, uh, Gordon, on rugby's general attitude to drugs and whether or not it's a massive issue I mean we know there are some players taking drugs but what do you think of Paul Kimmage's point in the Sunday Indo this week that in general it's defensive you know whether it's through tweets or through the media or ex-players or ex-coaches they sort of kind of go well we don't have much evidence um, nothing to see here kind of thing yeah it's I suppose with the benefit of being on the other side of the fence now Mm. I can understand it but remember the the um I suppose the attention towards it can be quite aggressive as well. Mm. So it's only natural for the defence of it to be a little bit uh, <laughs> defensive. Mm. Um, but you know, it, the same thing rides through. You know, this this is my first experience of doping in Irish rugby, mm. and that that's the only thing. That's the only way I can I can can phrase it. Um, Do I you think, think it's damaging think though to be defensive? Hu- well. Is it damaging to the debate about whether there's well, drugs I think, in Well, like, I think anything, to be defensive, overly defensive on anything, you're already setting out your stall that you're being, you know, you're not open to the conversation of it. I am, as I said, with the benefit of now being on the other side of it, I can be a little bit more uh, open to it and say, yeah, there is a good chance that somebody is making the same cognitive decisions at 16, 17, 18 and going, I want to be a rugby player and I will do anything to get there and they're able to justify it in their own head and they're able to do that. You would be incredibly naive to think that is not happening. Um, I just still think the overriding factor in rugby is that the that no, no, game does reward size, and we can definitely, you know, we're not not here to to dispel that myth. But if you can't catch and pass a ball, you still, you, you know, no matter how big and strong you're, you're going to be, it, it is going to be harder for it. I think it is still in the minority, um, but it is definitely in the game, and I think you would be absolutely. You know, bats to say otherwise. I, yeah, I don't really think the the skill. I mean, loads of sports have skill, but rugby uh, of all the sports in in the sort of rugby yeah, football yeah, mode yeah. is is prone to. I mean, size is nearly the most important thing now. So I don't know. If, I think that's an old argument about the catching and kicking. Yeah, I, you know, I suppose that's the purest in me. Maybe come going back to it, I'm being a, a small little tinty lad myself. So, um, but yeah, like listen, it is in the game. How much it is and how how little it is in the game. 
there isn't that's a that's an open ended argument. Shane, what do you think? Do people in rugby really want to know about it, or is it is it better left sort of underreported? I think the, the, the danger uh, for rugby is that uh, we're not as open about it as we possibly can. Um, we've seen it with other sports, and I think you know other sports have have a, a bigger problem than rugby has. And I don't want to overstate the the problem that rugby has. Uh, but I would, you know, I'd agree with Gordon that it, it, you know, logically there must be something there, and um, it is it's getting talked about more often. And you know, there was four guys from New Zealand that failed the drugs tests in the last week, and there's this conversation we're having now. There, there is, you know, every so often something will come up. So what we need to do if we really care about rugby and we want to make sure that uh, it's held in the esteem and. We also you know, want to show it in its best light and show what I actually truly believe that I think it's a, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a pretty small um, minority um, of people who, who do dope. And I don't think it's a huge issue. The only way you can sell that is be as unbelievably open as possible. And that's not just myself and Gordon in this having come to this conversation here, but it's with you know, players at the moment, it's with coaches, it's with unions, as everybody, you know, who's involved in the game cannot have their back up every time anybody mentions anything about um, um, performance enhancing drugs and cannot take it as a, um, you know, a, a sort of call to arms or some sort of rallying cry against against rugby. I, I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's ways that we can be more open about it, there's ways that we can um, broaden out the conversation and talk more about the kind of training players do and 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 where they come uh, where they come from you know sort of what sort of weights they're lifting and you know what what weight they are and what what how they progress from the ages of you know 16 17 18 into their mid 20s and make this conversation uh, uh, more understandable for for players who aren't aren't in a professional environment to show people how you know how players can get big, how can they can get better, how they can get faster um, throughout their careers without uni- using performance-enhancing drugs, because they can. Just to make a final point on this, the, the idea that there isn't much drug-taking in rugby or specifically performance-enhancing drug-taking, there was a study done before the 2015 World Cup in England and Rugby Union came out on top in terms of percentage of positive tests in their sport. This is ahead of cycling and boxing. I think Rugby League was in second place. And also just that I think Rugby Union, of all the major sports probably in Europe played, it's the one that could most benefit from somebody taking drugs in terms of recovery from injury, size. Um, you think of a proper second row. I mean, it's probably the most important aspect of their game. I know you're speaking as a centre where skill is probably the most important aspect, but there's certain positions in rugby where size and power are by a mile the most important yeah. factor. Just like even for balancing that, how it's betrayed to the individuals also needs to be um, looked at as well because it is very... You know, some people have a very dogmatic approach to it and saying it is happening. It's in your change room. It's happening. And that can be that's that's hard. You know, it, it works both ways. And so the players have to be more open to it. But how it's discussed and how it is, um, you know, so to say the players have to be just much more open to uh, the fact that it's, that it's there. Also, the people who are discussing this and have a mind for it have to be, you know, equally uh, open to the idea that maybe it isn't as prevalent in Ireland because really, like, Ireland is the same size as, you know, it's not even the same size as Manchester. Mm. You know, when if somebody is doing something, it is, you know, it gets out. It is, it is, you know, the worst kept secret in in, in, in a country. You know, a population of five million people, a rugby playing, professional rugby playing, yeah. population of 150 people. You know, there is a certain, you know, we do have that small, uh, you know, a small little bubble where it's quite collegial and everybody does know what's happening. Mm. That's not saying it's not happening, but just saying there is context into into everything. You into yeah. the UK and you have players spread all around into 50, 60 million plus uh, of a population. It does change things, you know, four different leagues, all these different things do play into it. Um, but, it, you know, it it is a conversation and I think it's a beautiful sport. It's played really, really well, but it needs to be looked after. Um and how you how you protect from this is, you know, not to talk in circles. You have to be open. You have to be uh, accepting to it, and you have to tr- you have to want to keep it out of your game. Um, and it's you know all we're speaking as as passionately about this, and um, you know this is this is this is this is bringing everything back into back into focus again by you know a, a player who you know, comes out and says I want to play for Ireland, and it's like automatically it is, uh, you kind of draw back from that and going, then you'll be the first player to. 
to serve a ban and then and represent your adopted country. Yeah, you're giving somebody a second chance that you didn't have to give a first chance to because you never had to sign him in the first place. But we'll move on from a change. I just want to ask you about uh, Leinster's performance against Glasgow. I don't know how much you can necessarily take from it, uh, given the, the understre- understrength nature of, Glas- of the Glasgow team. But I'm going to put it to you that Leinster are now the roaring hot favourites to win the Champions Cup this year. That's what I'm going to take from it. Um, I, over the last couple of weeks, they've been really impressive, I thought. Um, last time out against Ulster... Ag- who were Ulster were really poor. The opposition the last couple of weeks had been, you know, has not been good. Ulster were pathetic the week before in their defence. I like really closely watched what they were doing, particularly in the centres, and they, they weren't good. Uh, Glasgow weren't much better than them um, this week, but you know there was there was a serious, uh, a seriously high level of skill on show uh, from from Leinster right across the park. Um, and you know they have so many players now that are operating at an incredibly high level. Um, you know they could almost you know put a, if not two teams, they can certainly put a team and a half out that you would almost uh, think that they would be comfortable in um, against any opposition. Um, you know, their game has evolved uh, a lot in the last couple of uh, in the last you know even in the last year. The interplay between forwards and backs, I think, is the most exciting thing and, and the most interesting development. Uh, we've seen some of it with Ireland, but in, um, in Tyg Furlong and Jack McGrath, uh, we see, uh, we see a, a couple of players that you, know, you don't expect to have the kind of skill level that they have. Very, very comfortable on the ball. Um, holding in the inside defenders and then making that link out to the, out to the back. So you know, whether they take the, and when they do decide to carry the ball themselves, carry it uh, really uh, physically, uh, always over the gain line, always momentum, um, really good footwork and, and a very, very good clean out as well. So that increases the tempo was, um, and makes things easier for the sort of, you know, the sort of backline play that we saw led by Sexton. But interplay in the backs is really good. Um, it, it, you know, there, there wasn't too many falls, uh, fl- uh, flaws in their play uh, over the last couple of weeks, and you do think that um, there's there's not really anybody else on the horizon uh, that looks like the superpower that say um, Saracens were for the last couple of years or too long before them. Um, so for that reason, you know they they probably are favourites at the moment for your unstoppable, Gordon. <laughs> unstoppable. Yeah. Um, what, what, what did you take from that performance? Did you take much from it, or was it a little bit hard to hard to read anything? A little bit hard to read read from it. I think Shane again uh, beating me to the punch with all the all the good <laughs> stuff. Um, the opposition up to date have been really poor, but you can only beat what's what's in front of you. What I did, you know, and almost conversely to what we were talking about earlier, Scott, what the Scott Fardy and Issa bring to the team is just incredible. And you know, you're talking about two players, whiter than white, um, <laughs> but the consistency that they bring to the team. Um, I, I'm going to say five or six times Scott Fardy in the five meter channel, um, putting away two on ones. Um, like that ability, like that's like Ty Byrne uh, for Scarlets, yeah. that comfort on the ball. But this guy is six five and you know probably 115 kgs, and he's you know that uh, just that player that you can build stuff off. He does the right things, the right time. He hit rooks. He gets out of rooks. He gets out of. Mo- he's just an he. I think it will be him staying fit will be very very important. When for you say Leinster. you can build stuff off him when they're drawing up plays, drawing up plans. You've, no, you've no, no, no. You just mean sort of a, a, as a momentum, as as a guy on the pitch. Yeah. So we were talking about uh, Dunica Ryan bringing up the racing performance. You bring what, your behaviours on a pitch, on the training ground, everything like that. They manifest on the pitch, and he's the kind of guy that does everything at the right time at the right time. Issa ran a switch play and he put James Lowe away for a, a try. After that, he tackled well. He had some fi- nice handling, but his key moments in an overall team uh, performance were really, really important, um, very, very driven and very, very um, effectual. And you've got two players now that have that. They play in the overall structure, but when they have their moments, their their class comes to the comes to the fore. Issa's ability to get to top speed and two or three strides, it's incredibly hard to defend that. And then you drop all these players, all these internationals in around it. Uh, Jordan Larmore playing, you know, doing the basics really well at 15. Then you've got Rob coming on and Rob, you can see that he's desperate now to bring up his standard and he was playing really, really well, but he's the kind of this is the this is the kind of ecosystem that Leinster are now living in that 
every time, so you look at Dan Levy and Josh van der Fleer when they come on, like, you know, some people would have said Dan Levy, you know, four games ago, Dan Levy was absolutely nailed in for this, for the, for, for the starting position. And then Josh van der Fleer gets a, a chance and sets a record at 34 tackles and 100%. So this kind of natural, organic, um, rise in standard is driven by the players and that's underpinned by their behaviours their performance and everything like that so you know that's the, the the overall picture what they did you've got Johnny Sexton he's steering the ship you've got a really really impressive tight five and that's not just five players as Shane's talking probably they probably have they probably have 10 players particularly in that they're very very strong in there you see Porter getting a bit of game time you see Keane Heaney Jack McGrath Sean Cronin the list goes on of these uh, of, of these players and that's what you're going to need the season isn't won in um, December, January this is the business get your home quarter final and then you know Shane how many, how many, how many quarter finals had we had to play, if we had to play them away from home would we have won them that home quarter final is just so valuable Shane, a quick word on Ulster. Are you giving them a chance? They've, they've certainly put themselves in position and the results have gone their way, but will they beat Wasps away next week? Yeah, who knows with this Ulster team at the moment, <laughs> yeah. you know? They really don't. They're changing from week to week and um, it must be quite frustrating for, for their coaches because um, there's a certain level of performance that, that coaches want uh, week in, week out. Um, um, Ulster ha- haven't delivered that. Um, I did. I, th- I thought against uh, Leinster was one of the poor performances I've seen from Ulster side in a long time. Um, not just that their you know their talent level or their general basic skills were a bit off, but their work rate was 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 really off the mark. You know, and that's the one thing that would really concern me if I was uh, a Les Kiss um, or, or or John O'Gibbs. You know, John O'Gibbs is very demanding on. Um, how how much work you put in on and off the park uh, on and off the park, um, and how tough you are on yourself if you're not delivering that, and how tough you are on the players around you. Um, you know, I think Ulster rectified that to some degree uh, this weekend. Their you know their performance was dogged. It was it was a high work rate. It was, there was a lot of desire in it, and 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 you know it's not by mistake that they got the result. Um, if they can retain that. You know, I think that some of the changes they made, you know, worked out to their advantage as well. But if they can retain that sort of level of of, um, uh, of commitment, then they have a lot of good players in the side. Listen, they don't have a massive from five. They don't have as skilled as some, but they've they've some excellent players in the back line. They have you know some some nous in the forward pack as well, and they should have enough to to get through the group. And they, they you know, particularly the position that Wasps are in at the moment, they should be able to do it. But you know what? Having watched this Ulster um, side for, for the, the season, you couldn't be guaranteed they're going to do it, could you? No, I don't think so. Listen, we we'll leave it there. Shane, brilliant. Thanks a lot, Gordon. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Emil.
Just on the Grobler story, a last couple of words, and that we contacted the IRFU and Munster today to ask if they have any stated policy. Uh, is there anything on signing players who've been convicted of PED use? No word back from them as we record. A couple of statements from last year are interesting. July 14th, 2017, the IRFU published its anti-doping report, carrying quotes from Philip Brown, the IRFU chief executive, who said we operate a zero-tolerance policy to cheating within rugby and must remain vigilant in our efforts to safeguard our players and educate them about the importance of clean sport. That was July 14th. On July 7th, the previous week, Munster Rugby and the IRFU are pleased to confirm the signing of flanker Chris Clote and Locke Gerbrandt Grobler. Excuse me for the probably quite poor South African pronunciations. So the player was signed a week before that statement from uh, Philip Brown. Yeah, I just I just wonder is there an opportunity here for Munster and the IRFU to open this up, to put Grobler up for interview, to be completely open about their policy, why he was allowed to sign, what their future policies will be. And also for Grobler to give us some insight into his decision-making process back then and what threats there might be to younger players now who will be debating whether or not to take PEDs so that we maybe just learn a little bit from this as opposed to every sweeping under the carpet, uh, Munster dead batting any questions about it, uh, Van Graan being uncomfortable about it, the Munster players being uncomfortable about it, um, and then nobody really learning anything. I mean, they've already signed him, so the damage is done. The debate's been had in the Sunday papers and the broadcast media. Instead, it'd be great if everybody was just open about it, admitted to what they'd done, which Grobler has admitted. He did when he got caught. He admitted to it. Um, Let's interview him and see what he thinks about it. Ken, you've been very quiet today. I think I know what's going to fire your jets. LMFM Sunday Sport. Your sport, your station. I think we're almost ready. The referee now just making a, a double, uh, 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 taking a double check now, and just his list of paper and the players that are going to be involved in this uh, in this competition now. So as I say, this is all new. It's all new to us. It's new to the public. And the first. Okay, so the. So we're ready now for the first. I think it looks as if Sean, possibly Sean Tobin. I think Matty might be the first man. The mead yeah. players, the five mead subs, or the five mead free takers, are on the field. Here, just trying to identify them. Sean Tobin is the first man, so this is like a it's like soccer's penalty shootout. Yeah, uh, but it's of course it's much further out. Yes, it is indeed yeah. like soccer's penalty shootout, but much further out. Colm Kerrigan and Maddie Kerrigan commentating on the O'Byrne Cup semi final between Meath and Longford, which finished in a draw and was decided by the first ever free kick shootout in a national competition. Hmm. 45 yards out, Ken, uh, from the hand or off the ground. Hmm. How many? points do you think were converted there's five on each side ten well, I'll tell you I, I'm, I'm going to tell you Ken I've got another clip for you the quality of the 45s did not appear too hot if this is anything to go by again from LMFM this one from Sean Tobin is gone right and wide from Sean Tobin Robbie Smith such an influential figure here he comes now to take it looked as if he sliced this one I think that one is badly off target and it's gone wide very very badly wide uh, whatever but Sean Tobin's effort which certainly wasn't as wide as that one but that was well wide of the post there from Robbie Smith so McCollum now big kick coming up this one is off target and in the end just uh, no real pace about it well well off target that's the worst kick we've seen so far Joey Wallace this one is gone left and wide from uh, Joey Wallace so here comes Barry Gillaran now from his hands, and this one is off target, left and wide. Here he comes now, right-footed from McEntee. Has he got it? He has gone. No, it's gone. Right and wide. It's still up in the air. James McGivney, here he comes now. McGivney to keep his team in it. Has he got it? Looking good from here, and this one is gone. Right and wide, and that's it. If Brian Stafford were dead, Murphy would be spinning in his grave. Actually, Stafford today will kick five out of five. A little bit of fake news there, Ken. Yeah. We only played the misses. The, yeah. there was Do the maths. So how many? So there must have been two scored. One scored. No, three scored. Three. Yeah, we played two seven one. misses there. Killian yeah. O'Sullivan and Mark McCabe from Meath and Sean McCormick from Longford did the business. Not great, Ken. No. You know, there was a bit of a following breeze as well. I mean, they, um, I don't know. Did they? toss a coin for which end they were going to take him or did they all just say well we'll go with the breeze let's <laughs> try and make this as easy as possible for all of us I, I mean how how difficult is it to score one of those 45 yards out is would not would you back yourself to score one I've seen him score some Ken I've seen him miss some yeah would you say that you would have a f- better than 50% chance of scoring better than 50% yeah yeah I'm going to say yeah I mean, I'd, I mean, I'd, I don't know what I'm, you know, where I'm getting this confidence from, but yes, Ken. Out of the hand. 
Out of the hand. Yeah. yeah. Why is this happening, by the way? Why was there a shootout yesterday? Well, see, this is the thing, On This is um, going to be more coming more and more into uh, into our games. Well, it's the O'Byrne Cup semi-final, uh, and certainly there was no uh, real pressing need for a replay, let's say, mm-hmm. given just how squeezed the inter-county scene is going to be already this year. So uh, it was brought in with all the pre-season tournaments that if, if there was to be... If there, if there was a draw after two periods of extra time, that it would go to uh, free kicks. Now, see, the thing is, this is this is the first, but by no means the last, because the thing that causes the fixture, uh, one of the major uh, contributing factors to the fixture congest- congestion, which everyone talks about in the GA, is replays. And the GA's aversion to just playing the game until a result is uh, finalised on the, on the day. So... This is definitely coming into the... Uh, it will be coming into the equation more and more. They say the under-20 football championship that's coming in this year, this is in this. So if there's a draw at the under in the under-20 uh, All-Ireland uh, football championship this year, there will be two periods of extra time and then there will be these free-kick competitions. And I suppose depending on the public reaction to all this, we'll see this come more and more into play. And it's weird. Well, we'll be talking to Michael Quinn of uh, Longford in, in just like in a minute. But I am kind of interested to hear whether it might be better for the public if the task at hand was a little easier. Oh, completely. You don't want to be. Well, no, I want to see more evidence than just one shootout. But you yeah. don't want to be seeing seven misses. Yeah, out of ten. You, you want your sport to look good. <laughs> and yeah. a load of that's just missing. I was kind of thinking maybe edge of the D is like thirty-five yards out. Why don't I mean, you? Why don't you? But you know, let's talk to Michael Quinn and we'll come yeah. with some more theories afterwards because this was one man on the pitch yet who he was on the pitch yesterday but chose to sit back and coldly observe this historic moment. Michael, how are you? Good, good now. I suppose you'd already contributed your goal and a point uh, in the game itself so maybe uh, maybe you felt you'd leave it to others to, to try the free kicks? Yeah, that's it. I, <clears throat> I think I had enough done at that stage. Um, <laughs> no, to be honest, I, I cramped up um, towards the end of the game um and I was like, there's no way in hell I'll be able to kick kick a ball from 45 yards out. And said, nah, too risky. At that stage, I'd only pull a muscle or get injured. And probably the last thing you want out of um, a game is great to get the run out and get extra time into legs and everything. But the last thing you want to be doing is kind of over overreaching with some of those kicks and trying to you know, really put the boot through it and strain a muscle or something that late in the game. Yeah, so uh, be honest, how much thought had you put into the possibility that yesterday's O'Byrne Cup semi-final might end up being decided by a free-kick shootout from 45 yards out? Did you have to be informed, like, basically two seconds after the final whistle of extra time went? No, to be honest, it went through my head, actually, a couple of weeks ago. I was like, jeez, that'd be mad if that happened. And when we went out for um, extra time, I said to the referee, joking, can we, can we shoot into the, the, the goals? Can we play with the wind if it goes to 45s? And he started to laugh, and he had a bit of a joke, and then it ended up happening. So I, um, it, it was just funny the way it worked out. Obviously, you know, it's I, it created a bit of atmosphere because it hadn't happened before. Um, but look, I personally, I don't think I, I think penalty shootouts are you know a different way, um, a different approach might be better. Um, you, don't, you, you don't like it, after no? playing after playing ninety minutes of football, and you're trying to trying to drive a ball 45 yards like it's it's not really like a spot one they got two we got one <laughs> the percentages were well down maybe that's that's just making excuses but um, I think you know I think there's nothing wrong with a penalty shootout um, it still creates the same atmosphere there's no point in trying to be different um, and not do penalties because soccer does penalties um, for example yeah, and it, it's weird because the the only previous game uh, in a national competition that ended up being decided in a way even vaguely similar to what we saw yesterday was the Sigerson Cup game in 2006 between uh, Jordanstown and Sligo IT, which was decided on a penalty shootout, uh, which uh, uh, right. Jordanstown won 4-2. But that's the only previous example of this. And obviously the GA took a look at, look at, that, took a look at that and decided, OK, this 45... Uh, solution might be better than a penalty shootout, but I think I'm kind of with you on this, or at least have the free kick in a bit more of a scorable position so that, you know, it's not like even for your free taker to, to have a ball in his hand 45 yards out, you're not 
sort of chalking it down saying, well, this is a 95% of the time he's going to land this. You know, even your best free taker yeah, isn't hitting it 95% of the time, I would yeah, say. Yeah, it's a tester, all right. Um, you know, even with time with the idea of almost like your, your ice hockey there, um, you're, you're, what, you, you get the puck at the half the line and you have whatever number of seconds to, to get your shot off, something like that. If you're a, a forward bearing down on goal and he's got six to eight seconds or something to, to get from the 45 in one-on-one with the keeper and score um, in, that, in that time, um, would that be an option? But obviously, penalties is is your your number one, and then everything after that is just trying to almost create something for the sake of it, of being different. What about the players in your team who missed, Michael? Were they a little bit sore about missing? I suppose it was four out of five guys missed. And uh, not really. I suppose we kind of we were joking, saying that oh, we we know who our free taker is now. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it was kind of shots at the end of a game after extra time and you know we it was something we it wasn't that we had all our eggs put in the one basket it was it was bonus territory and you know the game finished a draw and it was decided on that obviously it would have been nice on that to win but I think we, it was ideal preparation for ourselves going into the league now we have a bit of time to to recuperate after the last couple of weeks and put things into place for, for the build up to the league so I think we're happy enough in that position Great stuff. Sounds like you're not too broken hearted about it anyway. Listen, Michael Quinn, great to chat to you and best of luck with the rest of the with the league when it starts. Brilliant. Thanks very much. I've got it, Murph. Go on. I've got it, Ken. Mm-hmm. What you have to do is... Well, there, you, you could just have a penalty shootout, as Michael suggests. Mm. Just just because they do it in football doesn't mean it's wrong. <laughs> this was a bit, I, I kind of recall there was a bit of this going on when the card system was introduced, you know, yellow and red. And it was yeah. everywhere. There was kind of like murmurings. It's like, well, does it have to be, you know, yellow and red? It was like, well, everyone knows what that means. Mm. So you should you probably just go with that. Different Why, I think a much better idea would, would be five throw-ins. And obviously whoever wins the throw, whoever emerges holding the ball. You mean like, yeah. the, like the point. Like as in yeah. what they do to, to start a start game. game yeah. yeah. You've got one, one guy on each team and they, they're up uh, against each other and you throw the ball up between them. Obviously, you'd, you'd have to make sure it was thrown yeah. in fairly. Well, they, I'd say the traditionalists would love that. And, yeah. uh, and let's see who, high comes, fetching let's see who, who wants it more. <laughs> Rewards high feeling. That, you've got full... Uh, yeah, GA pretty. conservative on me there. Like, yeah, well, look, like you've just sh- overshot the runway. Everyone would want to watch that. My theory was going to be that you take freeze, but you essentially you pick your five players, you rank them five to one. Yeah, starting with the person you feel is your fifth best taker. Yeah, that person start that person kicks it from twenty yards out. Yeah, and you just move five yards further out, or just make that angle more difficult. Yeah, so that your free taker is taking a forty-five, but everybody else is taking a slightly easier kick. But, uh, but, but, but that, uh, that's uh, opened all kinds of corruption out. I mean, what sort of... Well, what and, if who, I, and who in the GA would corrupt I, a rule? No what, one what if I say that... Um, what's what's his name? Chris Rock? Dean Rock? <laughs> Dean Chris, Rock, yeah. Chris Rock, yeah. Chris Rock, Chris yeah. Rock Chris, what there. if I say Chris Rock Dean is Dean Rock. Chris Rock is a black comedian. Dean Rock is the Dublin free taker. What if I say Chris Rock is my weakest <laughs> kicker? He probably would be, to be honest. Barney Bar- Bar- Rock is your strongest kicker, yeah. and Dean Rock is. He will go. Uh, he's he will. What about he Kid will Rock? Take the shot from from twenty yards. Everyone would be like, "Well, hang on, he takes all the frees." Okay, I see what you're saying. So you need an independent adjudicator. You just pick your five free takers, and then somebody independent judges. But it's who, not. Who it's, better. It's I don't know why fair. I'm complicating this matter. It's, so it's much. too. It's too complicated. You've you've opened up all kinds of loopholes for corruption. These these canny GAA folk would have rings run around you. Yeah. They really would, though. They really would. Just throw the ball in between them, and whoever comes up holding the ball wins the game. Five times. Do that five times. <laughs> Just do it once to hell. No, no, five. No, not five times. I mean, the crowd wants to get their money's worth here. I suppose that's true. We have a ton of great stuff coming up in the World Service this week, including US Murph on a dramatic night in the NFL playoffs last night. One of the all-time great playoff games. Certainly, the last uh, number, last few minutes of it, anyway. Thanks yeah. very much, Ken. Still remember the throw-in uh, between was it Kildare and Dublin? When Kieran Whelan <laughs> box some lad in the head. Was that it was not Mead. Mead? It was Mead. Was it Mead? Yeah, it yeah. was, yeah, yeah. I was at the at the match. Yeah, he just punched Nigel Crawford in the head, I think. Was I thought, Nigel? you can't be serious. Did, he, right, did, yeah, that yeah. Just, did that just happen? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was looking at it. Well, you like, got a stern talking to. Did so that actually just happen? And I saw it then on TV. He was then, meant to promise never to do it again, Ken. Amazing. So. Incredible stuff. I feel back and you're really warming up towards the end of this podcast and now we have to wrap things up. We'll keep talking once we wrap things up. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you on the World Service if you're a signed up member.
Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thank, thank you, Owen. Thank, thank you, Ken. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.